Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history about how they came to be. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. We are coming up on the holiday season. It is already here. Hanukkah's already over and things are happening quickly. (laughs) And for me and my family, the holiday season means Christmas decorations. My mother has accumulated, over the years, an amazing number of Christmas decorations. My brother has mastered the art of the Christmas lights on the outside, but walking into our home is like walking into a cozy Christmas shop. We've got music going on, a table full of Christmas books, decorations, lights, the whole shebang. The Christmas tree itself looks like a toy shop threw up on it, which is my mother's favorite way to describe it. But, you know, like in a really cheerful way, as much as you can with that. Anywho, our Christmas tree spawned one of my very favorite Christmas traditions and activities, post and pre-Christmas. That is vacuuming up the pine needles that fall on the tree's way in. First off, there's the noise. I love the noise of needles clicking around very cheerfully inside the vacuum. Then there's the smell. As you vacuum up the needles, the smell of the pine tree is amplified and sent everywhere. And aside from that, it just looks very, very clean once you've cleared the needles, which is always very satisfying. The Christmas tree might very well be my favorite part. From the smell to its twinkling, cheerful lights, I just love it. When I was a kid, my grandmother gave me a children's book called Why Christmas Trees Aren't Perfect, which only increased my love of the wonderful smelling tree. Having lived a few years of her childhood in Germany, my mother has passed on her love for Christmas trees to us as well. We know full well that the Tannenbaum was a German tradition brought over to the English by Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert of Coburg. When I lived in Germany myself, I visited Coburg. It is gorgeous. There's a beautiful castle in the center, which you can see from almost anywhere in the city. My mother also taught us fun traditions like the German Christmas pickle. Yep, that's a thing. Not exactly German, as I found out when I started researching, but, you know, still a thing. So, time to celebrate the wonderful, the majestical pine tree and learn a little bit more about the tree and its special job come the holiday season. Pine trees used to be known as firs. This name had an etymological root in Nordic languages, including German, Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish. Pine trees largely exist naturally in the Northern Hemisphere, although there are some other areas where it has been cultivated. They can exist in hot and arid climates, as well as freezing temperatures. Pine trees can grow anywhere from 3 to 80 meters. That's 10 to 260 feet tall. The smallest pine trees are Siberian dwarf pines, or Potosi pinyon. Wow, I don't know if I said that right, but that was my effort. Whereas the tallest pine, coming in at 81.79 meters, or 268.35 feet, is a Pondersoa pine in South Oregon. 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 Guys, I say Oregon wrong. Oregon. Pine trees also live anywhere from 100 to 1,000 years old. I guess it takes some time to get that tall. The oldest pine tree, also nicknamed Methuselah, is also one of the oldest living organisms in the world. It is about 4,600 years old. It is a great basin bristlecone pine, and you can find it in California. I'm sure it has some stories to tell. There was once an older tree that dated to around 4,900 years old and was known as Prometheus, but it's since gone. 
As I was researching pine trees, I found this to be interesting, but one of the ways that some pines will regenerate is literally by having the tree catch on fire, which causes the pine cones to burst, which is needed for them to spread their seed and regenerate. So who knew? Not I. Aside from use for timber, pine wood is useful for furniture, roofing, window frames, paneling, flooring, and more. Pine wood pulp is also key in the creation of paper. Its resin is an important source of turpentine. Pine is also a great natural resource for medicinal remedies. You can use pine to treat internal ailments or external ones. You can use pine to treat coughs, colds, sinus infections, allergies, and more. Here are just a few examples. Fresh pine needles and buds, also called pine tops, can be boiled in water and used to create a tea to treat fevers, coughs, and colds. Tommy Bass, a renowned Alabama herbalist, reported that, quote, Country people used to drink pine top tea every spring and fall to prevent colds. The resin of the tree can be used as an antimicrobial wash or poultice. You can infuse this with bathwater to help with aches. The resin can also be used as an antimicrobial dressing for wounds or can be used to pull out splinters and other objects like glass or toxins from poisonous bites. In traditional Chinese medicine, there's also a remedy using the knotty pine to treat joint pain. The yew tree has also proven promising in treating cancer because of its paclitaxel or taxol compound. Just don't try that one on your own because yew trees themselves are actually very poisonous. Pine trees have had a larger place in history than just medicinal remedies and building material, although these may be some of their greatest contributions. The pine tree also took part in a historical event that was a precursor to the American Revolutionary War. Time to learn about the pine tree riot. Initially, when the British came over to the Americas, one of the key resources that they were highly interested in was that of the impressive pine trees, specifically the white pine. Having already cleared their own land and Ireland's of their own supply of trees, and spending a great deal of money on importing trees from Russia in order to keep up with the French Navy, these pine trees were perfect for masts to build up the Royal Navy. In order to keep up, laws were passed by the British to protect specific white pines for the purpose of building up the Royal Navy. It became illegal in 1722 to cut down any white pine that was, quote, of the growth of 12 inches of diameter. If you did, you would face a hefty fine of between 20 and 40 pounds. Nobody was thrilled with this law. In fact, in response, it became unfashionable to have floorboards that were less than 12 inches wide. Remember that 12 inch in diameter that was reserved specifically for the king? Well, people were literally ready to step all over that sentiment. The unpopular law was not stringently enforced until one John Wentworth became the new governor of the New Hampshire colony in 1766. In 1771 and 1772, John Sherman, who was a deputy surveyor of the King's Woods of New Hampshire, ordered a search of sawmills for white pines marked with the crown, meant for the Royal Navy. He found six sawmills with the crown's pines and fined them. Those sawmill owners hired a lawyer to represent their case, but the lawyer was offered a job as a surveyor and took that job and lost the case. The men had to pay the fines. This stoked the fire for what happened later in April of 1772. On the 13th, Sheriff Benjamin Whiting and his deputy, John Quigley, went to South Weir with a warrant to arrest Ebenezer Mudgett, the owner of Weir Mill. Mudgett was released with the understanding that he would make bail the next morning. 
but that's not exactly what went down. Instead, the next day at dawn, Mudgett led between 20 and 40 men to the tavern where the sheriff and deputy were staying and rushed into the sheriff's room. Their faces were covered in soot for disguise and they beat him with tree branch switches, one hit for every tree that was contested as belonging to the crown. The rioters picked him up and he was frightened for his life. The same treatment befell the deputy. The mob also did some terrible things to the deputy and sheriff's horses as well and then sent the men out of town among jeering from the townspeople. Eight men were later charged with rioting. They pled guilty and paid a fine of 20 shillings. Just for that frame of reference, remember that the fine for taking the crown's trees was somewhere between 20 and 40 pounds. Some believe that this was an inspiring incident for the Boston Tea Party in later years. Colonists later rallied around a flag boasting the white pine as a statement against the British. Who knew, right? Pine trees, a fraught history. Pine trees haven't just been a symbol of revolution or a protest against high taxes, however, they typically have had a much more peaceful symbolic meaning. Because their leaves, or rather their needles, stay green throughout the entire winter, these evergreen trees typically symbolize eternal life. To the Iroquois people, the white pine is a symbol of the Great Peace. The Great Peace united the separate nations of the Iroquois. The pine has been called the Peace Tree, or the Tree of Light. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the pine tree has symbolized eternal life for the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, and Hebrews. Customarily, pagan Europe would even worship trees. Our usage of the pine tree at Christmas is an example of one of those practices changing and adopting a new meaning when Christianity came along. In Scandinavia, there was a custom of decorating their houses and barns with evergreen branches so as to scare away the devil. The tree was also set up at Christmas time to invite birds. While not every country has an abundant supply of pine trees, people adapted. Evergreen boughs would be added to trees of light, which were constructed triangles of wood decorated with scenes from the nativity. This happened in Italy, and then in Georgia, a tree called Chichilaki was formed by taking dried branches from hazelnut or walnut trees and shaping them into what looked like a small coniferous tree. In Poland, there was an ancient pre-Christian tradition of hanging a branch of a fir or pine tree from the ceiling as part of a winter festival. These branches would be decorated with dried fruits and nuts and stars made of straw. The old beliefs thought that the branches would lead to good harvest and prosperity. So now enter the winter solstice. The shortest day of the year falls on either December 21st or the 22nd. This also means that it's the longest, darkest night of the year. Ancient peoples believed that every year when winter came, it was because the sun god had gotten sick. On the darkest day of the year, things were finally coming to an end and the sun god was about to get better, so people would celebrate. In Egypt, they would fill their homes with green palm rushes. This symbolized life overcoming death with the sun god's recovery. Romans decorated their houses and temples with evergreen boughs as they knew that the solstice marked the end of the darkening days and that the harvest season would soon return. The Druids, the ancient priests of the Celts, would decorate their temples with evergreen boughs, symbolizing everlasting life. Vikings, too, considered the evergreen the special tree of the sun god Baldr. The Christmas tree has a few stories of origin. Some say that a Christian missionary, St. Boniface, came upon a scene of a pagan sacrifice to an oak tree. And as he stopped the proceedings and saved the sacrifice, he chopped down the oak tree in the process. The legend goes that from that tree grew an evergreen. The triangular shape is said to have reminded him of the Trinity, and so it became a Christian symbol. Other stories attribute Martin Luther in 16th century Germany with the Christmas tree tradition. The story goes that one evening, as he was walking home and composing a sermon, he passed under the star-lit branches of the evergreens of the forest. Struck by their beauty, he came home, 
found a tree and put candles on it to mimic what he had seen with the stars. Another legend says that in the 16th century, the Germans combined two customs. One was the paradise tree, which represented the tree of knowledge from the Garden of Eden, and the other was the Christmas light. This was a small triangular frame decorated with glass balls and tinsel and a light at the top that represented Christ as the light of the world. For a while, the tradition stuck with the Germans, but it was later popularized by Queen Victoria when, with her husband, Prince Albert, who was from Coburg, brought the tradition over to jolly old England. It was an illustration in the London News in 1846 with the royals gathering around the Christmas tree with their children that got the ball rolling for everyone else. It was a while, however, before the tradition became acceptable in America. German settlers living in Pennsylvania brought the tradition over by 1747, but even by the late 1840s, the Christmas tree was still considered a pagan symbol. When they first landed, the pilgrims would have nothing to do with the frivolous tradition of the Christmas tree, considering it, as William Bradford called it, pagan mockery. Oliver Cromwell also declaimed Christmas trees, as well as Christmas carols, considering them too frivolous for the sacred event. Finally, with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert's popularization of the Christmas tree, it eventually made its way over to the States, and by the 1890s, German Christmas ornaments were being imported to the U.S. Initially, Germans and German-Americans used apples, nuts, and marzipan cookies to decorate their Christmas trees. Later, glass-blown ornaments became popularized. Every Christmas market today has them, and if you haven't been, I highly recommend it. It is absolute magic. The first use of a tree in a Christmas or New Year celebration is documented as being in either the city of Tallinn in Estonia or Riga in Latvia. Tallinn claims the first at 1441 and Riga in 1510. It is said that these trees were put in the town square. People dance around them and then they set the tree on fire, similar to a Yule log. Early Christmas trees were initially hung upside down from the ceiling and lit like a chandelier. Later, when they were on the ground, Christmas trees initially stood at about four feet high. It wasn't until the Americans started using the tradition that they preferred their trees to reach from floor to ceiling. In the beginning, not everyone could afford a Christmas tree, so alternatives were made. People began to construct wooden trees from branches and boughs. This is still popular in Italy. These pyramid trees were thought to have derived from the paradise trees. Paradise trees were used in German mystery or miracle plays. These were acted out on Christmas Eve in front of churches. The paradise tree represented the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. In Mexico, the most important piece of decoration is the nacimiento, the nativity scene. Sometimes this is incorporated into the decoration of the Christmas tree as well. A natural pine tree is hard to come by, however, so it's usually an artificial tree or a copal tree branch. In Sweden, Christmas trees are not taken inside and decorated until just a few days before Christmas. They are then decorated with stars, sunbursts, and snowflakes made from straw. In Norway, there is a tradition of gathering around the Christmas tree and holding hands and singing carols. In Catalonia, Spain, there is a game in which a tree trunk is filled with treats and goodies and the children take turns hitting the trunk and trying to knock out the treats. These could be hazelnuts, almonds, toffees, and other types of things. In an effort to popularize the usage of the electric light, Thomas Edison's colleague came up with an idea. His name was Edward Hibbard Johnson, and he decorated a tree outside of his house with Christmas lights in order to catch people's attention. And it worked. In Brazil and South Africa, Christmas takes place in the summer weather. In Brazil, occasionally, for the few pine trees that are around, they'll be decorated with cotton balls to represent snow. In the Philippines, rather than Christmas trees, handmade trees and star lanterns, called haro, appear. 
They are made from colored rice paper or cellophane and bamboo sticks. These stars represent the star of Bethlehem. In Japan, Christmas trees are decorated with small toys and paper ornaments. Japanese children have exchanged thousands of folded paper birds of peace with other children all over the world. These birds serve as a reminder and pledge that war must not happen again. All over the world, the pine tree and this special time of year are great reminders of peace, of the value of life, and of caring for one another. And with the year we've had, it only seems right to celebrate something symbolizing peace, everlasting life, and hope for the future, and the reminder that all dark times will come to an end and the sun will rise again. Hope you all have a great week and a great holiday. Thanks for listening.